0: Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the LeadX Leadership Show. I'm Kevin Cruz, and today I talk to the former chief learning officer of Coca-Cola, And he talks about how we all have a nuclear button in our pocket, why leaders everywhere today are naked, and why we need less democracy and more autocratic leadership. I'm not sure I agree with everything, but it sure makes for some interesting conversation. Don't forget to visit leadx.org. Check out our free management training course of the day and check out the LeadX Leadership Academy, where you can get on-demand access to over 30 video courses on leadership, management, productivity, and more, plus 100 executive book summaries for a pre-launch special price of only $7 a month. That quadruples very soon. Hey, here's our quote of the day. The only person you're destined to become is the person you decide to be, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Our guest today is the CEO of the iCliff Leadership and Governance Center, and former global chief learning officer of both Coca-Cola and Morgan Stanley. He's held senior roles at American Express and Goldman Sachs as well. His new book is Open Source Leadership, Reinventing Management When There's No More Business As Usual. Our guest is Rajiv Peshavarya. Rajiv, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I always start with the same first question. It's like a a tradition on, on the show. And it's because I believe that all failures can be stepping stones to something else. You know, there's no win or lose. It's only win or learn. So I'm hoping you can start by telling me a story of one of your best failures. Like, what did you learn from it? You know, Kevin, my most spectacular failure happened very early in my career. Upon finishing my
1: MBA, I accepted a job offer from an international bank. And in those days, and I'm talking, you know, late 80s, uh, jobs in banking and finance were considered very prestigious and were certainly very high paying. Uh, So after a couple of years in operations, I moved to the trading floor and became a currency trader. And at that time, to say that you were a trader was really nothing short of sexy. Most people would give an arm and a leg to be in my position. Mm. I was, quote unquote, doing so well, or so everyone thought. Well, three or four years into my career, and I realized I was miserable. I did not enjoy finance and finally understood that the only reason I was doing it is because it was the thing to do, but as judged by society. And that was my biggest failure. Right. Failure to ask myself what I really wanted to do with my life. Uh, what was I good at? What was I passionate about? And most importantly, what difference did I want to make through my work?
0: But what, I'm, and I'm, This is so important because I think so many uh, young people find out too late in life that they pursued the wrong career choice they 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 weren't mindful of thinking about what they wanted to do for themselves. And it's either because, you know, the classic thing is I, I became a doctor because my parents were a doctor or, you know, I became a lawyer because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. You know, that's kind of a, a classic thing. So what do you think enabled you to sort of see the light after only a few years? Was it just you were so unhappy in the role and it caused you to, to think about what you wanted to be doing or was there anything else? You know, funnily enough, I, I, while I was unhappy, I didn't even know I was
1: unhappy. I was miserable, but I didn't kind of know that I was miserable. Mm. Fortunately for me, I had a very good mentor who helped me uncover my true strengths and passion. And it was after a full six years of doing work that I did not enjoy, uh, that through my mentor's help, I transitioned into the field of human, human capital management and the study of leadership, something that I've now enjoyed every day for the last 25 years.
0: Wow, that's a great gift your mentor gave you and really it changed the course of your of your life. Absolutely. And so, speaking about sort of you know those who are earlier in their career, you know, before we dive into your book, I'm just curious, you know, what advice would you give to a younger first-time manager who wants to grow and become, you know, a very effective leader? Well, I would say that, first
1: of all, understand that leadership is not a position or a title. It is not about using your authority to supervise others and get them to do what you want them to do, which is kind of the traditional definition of leadership, right? Leadership, they need to understand, is a state of mind. It is a burning desire to create a better future. Second, be prepared that if you want to create a better future, you will face stiff resistance. And the only difference between a leader and a non-leader is that the latter give up in the face of such resistance. Real leaders find limitless energy to stay the course in the face of such resistance. And finally, to uncover such limitless leadership energy, leaders get crystal clear about two things. their deeply held values, which they will never compromise even if it hurts. And two, develop a values-based purpose. So you have those two things, you have limitless leadership energy. So coming back to your question about aspiring leaders, what should they do? Well, start asking yourself the questions. What are my values and what is my purpose as early in life as possible? Something, as I said earlier, I failed to do when I started my career.
0: I think that's great advice. And I actually reflect on my own personal purpose statement and values every single morning as part of sort of my my morning ritual. And just to be clear, you're suggesting that individuals should identify and carry with them their own values and their own purpose, even though the organization they work for might have a set of organizational values and an organizational mission statement. You, this is your own. It's not to, to mimic or copy the, the company you might work for.
1: You bet. Uh, you have to understand why am I, who am I, why am I in this world, what do I want to do with my life, right? And then find an organization, either you know, create that better future yourself, with your leadership energy, which is uh, fueled by your values and your purpose, or join an organizations whose vision, mission, and purpose you like and, and gels with your own. A lot of times people ask me this question, but what if my personal vision, uh, values, and purpose sort of clash with the companies uh, or the organizations? And so I tell them, you know, well, you have to understand, there'll probably never be a perfect match. You have to ask yourself, how much is the discord? How much of a mismatch is it? If it is a complete mismatch, 180 degrees, uh, then you know what to do. You have to quit. You have to go somewhere else. But if it's a small difference, then you need to learn how to live with it and cope
0: with it. Great advice. So Rajiv, your new book is Open Source Leadership, Reinventing Management When There's No More Business As Usual. So uh, in a short format show, we can't get into all the details, but let's start like, what's the big idea of your book?
1: Okay, so... Very difficult to do in a short format, as you said. But let me try to make six very quick points. Yeah. Okay. First, as I said, leadership is not a position or title. It is the art of harnessing human energy towards the creation of a better future. And how do you do that? Is one part. Uh, second, the world is changing faster than ever before, and what we are seeing today in terms of technological progress is only the tip of the iceberg. Speed is everything today. So contrary to conventional wisdom, a democratic style of leadership will not work. We need to be autocratic to create breakthrough success in today's high-speed environment. Now, I, I know that sounds surprising, but in open-source leadership, we back this assertion with a 28-country research study. So that's a big uh, big idea behind it. But here's point number three. In today's uber-connected world, leaders are completely exposed, and ordinary people have more empowerment than ever before in human history. Using a smartphone and social media, they can destroy anyone's reputation within minutes. So while the data suggests from our global study that we need to be autocratic, the 21st century leadership dilemma is that ordinary people uh, with their newfound power will not let you, which leads me to point number four. So one has to earn the right to be autocratic. The book talks about five keys for doing so, but let me just talk about one of them, which is to be completely autocratic about one's values and purpose, while at the same time being fully humble and respectful with people. Now, they, they they seem like opposites, but that's what leadership in the 21st century is all about, balancing seemingly opposite ideas. Number five, talent and innovation are not scarce. They are abundant. If there was ever a war for talent, it is over because connectivity now allows us to reach talent wherever it is. And crowdsourcing is just one example of how this can be done. And finally, point number six, Many management practices that have been in vogue for the last 50 years are irrelevant in today's gig economy. From succession planning to managing employee engagement, most management dogma needs to be turned upside down. For example, we argue in the book that in order to maximize productivity, employees must be set free to do as little or as much as they want. And it actually works. We cite many examples, including how allowing unlimited vacations is actually beneficial for the company. So I know that was a very quick uh, summary, but I hope you get a flavor for the book.
0: Absolutely. And and I I did read the book, and this is a very good summary. I was going to – I had a separate set of notes I was going to come back to. And and with this summary, it helps me to – it sets up uh, what I plan in terms of a follow-up because I want to send this message to my listeners in that when I first got one of the key messages of your book – I'll be honest, Rajiv, my reaction was to oppose it because I thought in today's world with my values – we don't need another message that uh, we need more strongman leaders. We don't, you know, more autocratic uh, rulers. And in, in this time of going back to populism and nationalism, all the rest of that, oh boy, this message is just supporting that view. But then the book really dives in and you touched on here some things that are, that, that you know, it's not as you would expect in terms of uh, an autocratic approach, because you're saying, no, no, you need to be fully humble. And even on your last point, and I'd like you to to talk more about this, you're saying it's autocratic leadership, but you need to set your people free, like they can even just do whatever they want on vacations. So these are not opposing ideas in your mind. No, actually, they're not. You see, the beauty of the time that
1: we live in, which is what what I'm calling the open source era, is this, uh, the point that I made earlier, that, you know, on the one hand, leaders or or for that matter, everybody is so exposed, even to the extent of being naked. I mean, you look at the last presidential election and you see what I mean by leaders are naked. Every misspoken word, every misdeed was out in the open for both candidates. Right. Right. That's how naked they are. Yes. On the other hand, you and I, ordinary people are more empowered than ever before in human history. Now, we all now carry weapons of mass destruction, which is smartphones, in our pockets, right? And with social media connectivity, we can either make or destroy anybody within minutes. So what this time, exciting time does is it has a built-in audit mechanism. So while you need to be autocratic to change the world, right, because speed is everything, this newfound power of people will not let you be autocratic. So what do you do about it? It's a dilemma, and uh, which is why I offer those five keys in the book, you know, that you you need to give people freedom within a framework. So every company, for example, has a set of values and, uh, you know, a set of rules. But as the company becomes bigger, rules, policies, procedure uh, keep getting bigger and bigger. Whereas what we are saying is build a culture where people live values rather than rules. The United Airlines saga where they they kicked out Dr. Dow in a bloodied state from the aircraft because he refused to give up his seat. Mm. And the first utterance from the CEO's office was, "My employees did nothing wrong. They followed stated company procedure." Right. Now, I'd like to ask the CEO. Well, what if instead of following stated company procedure or rules, they had followed stated company values? Mm. Do your values say that you should beat somebody up and beat and take them off your plane? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. When that CEO released that first public response, I just shook my head and I thought they either have the worst crisis control team in history when their PR agency or this guy's flying solo because uh, even an amateur like me knew that that was not the right message to send after that incident. There you go. You see, so you talk about rules versus values. So which is one of of the keys
1: is uh give freedom within the framework that's right so yeah no they're not opposing ideas the day and age in which we live because uh, you know by some estimates 40% of the us workforce is already free agents right in the gig economy they have all the freedom they need. right? And so big organizations have no choice but to give their employees freedom. And the good news is the more freedom you get, give the more productivity, the more responsibility you get.
0: And I want to ask a follow-up because the other sort of shocking thing in my mind is when you say the war for talent is over. You know, there is no, talent is abundant. And of course, Oh, you know, your your entire career has been in uh, human capital management, except for those first few years. Yes, And so, of course, you know that ever since I think it was the McKinsey white paper that coined that term war for talent, which was probably now, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. I'm not I'm not even sure. But I think a lot of companies would say, what are you talking about? We're still struggling to find talented, skilled people uh, for, for, you know, jobs that are relevant for the future? I and mean, what's your answer to that?
1: You know, it's because, yes, you're right. They're struggling to find good people. Almost every CEO says my biggest challenge is to find the right talent, right? And it's so hard. Right. I believe that it is because we are going about it the wrong way. Now, how do we develop talent for the future? we give people a battery of psychometric tests we put them through assessment centers and then we say a certain population of our employee base is so called high potential mm. and then we send the high pose if you will to harvard or stanford for executive courses we give them executive coaches we give them mentors we give them stretch assignments and turnaround assignments and things hoping that with all this investment in these people in five years time they will be future leaders right right now how can a psychometric test determine whether you're going to be a future leader five years from now? You know, and and the whole idea that if you invest five years into them, what's the guarantee that they're even going to stay? Instead, if you open it up to the whole company and say anybody, every year you throw out a CEO's challenge and say anybody who has any idea to add value to this organization in any way, form a team, submit your idea by a certain date, we'll evaluate all the good ideas and the top 10 ideas will be presented to the board. Nobody is going to be forced to participate. We are not going to give you any tests to tell you whether you're a hypo or a a lopo. Mm. Uh, And there are no barriers to entry. Anybody can participate. So no compulsion, but no barriers either. Now, the people that raise their hands every year and say, I'm willing to do this over and above my day job. Here's my thinking. They're showing you their leadership energy. They are telling you that I want to be a leader. And you're getting, you're your spotting talent, you're spotting innovation at virtually no cost. So instead of, you know, uh, anointing somebody, open source it.
0: Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Back to your idea of open source, make, make it wide open and and watch what talent emerges from that uh, from that process.
1: Absolutely and and the whole idea this what I just talked about is what what we call internal crowdsourcing right and then you can go outside the company as well and have crowdsource contests for innovation which a lot of companies are doing now so you know when GE aviation wanted to find an innovative solution to a big problem that they were they were facing they ran a contest and found the solution out of a small town in Indonesia mm. now who would have thought that a 150 billion dollar aviation giant in Cincinnati Ohio would spot uh, their innovation talent all the way in small-town Indonesia for a total investment of under $20,000.
0: Yeah. well, And you just gave me actually a very practical idea uh, because uh, as we're speaking, I have an open job out there you know, for our, our startup looking for a conversation user experience designer to write for AI-driven chatbots. So it's a very specific role, one that this job type didn't exist two years ago. So as you can imagine, right now i 'm doing the traditional process of you know searching on LinkedIn for keywords or similar jobs, reaching out to people, all the traditional things, and and struggling because it 's such a tough role, and yet it 's really not a hard role. And anybody who, you know, has a flair for writing as, and is analytical and wants to download some free software could actually create a little chatbot conversation. They could, you know, choose themselves, uh, do an open source. And so you just gave me the idea, you know, maybe, maybe next week I got to huddle with my team and say, you know, uh, let's take some of what we would have spent on recruiting or paid to recruiter and open up a little uh, contest and just see – who pops up and who wins you know, the contest and maybe they or, or their network would be the right uh, the right person for us.
1: You're absolutely right. By going to to sites like upwork.com and, and putting it out there for people to bid for your stuff, you get to try out people without hiring them. And then if they're really good, then you wanna then consider hiring them. That's great.
0: Rajiv, we've got a couple more minutes. I wanna uh, throw a bonus question at you, which I know you haven't uh, prepared for, but it's a very just tactical question. I've been talking to a lot of people about just it's more of a management practice than a leadership practice but it's getting a rhythm of of meetings a rhythm of communication with your team and I know I became a much better leader when I started doing uh, one-on-one meetings with, with my direct reports, I would typically do them weekly. I know a lot of people you know, do them every couple of weeks. Now, you've managed some very large teams in your career in some very large companies. And I'm just curious about your own practice in terms of uh, communicating with your direct reports and making sure that there was a good cadence to that communication and information flow. What were your own practices? You know, exactly what you just said. Uh, a weekly meeting, one-on-one. Now,
1: if you don't have enough time to do a weekly meeting with your direct reports, it's probably because of a couple of things. A, you have too big a direct report team to handle. Or B, you're doing things that you should be delegating. Because your number one task is to talk to your people and make sure. So, you know, get, at the beginning of the year, the first protocol of communication is to sit down with the team and imagine that better future that you want to create. And then throughout the year, have those weekly conversations on an ongoing basis. So one of the things I did throughout my career was put that hour down once a week with each person in the calendar, whether we needed it or not. If sometimes you didn't have anything to talk about, just go for a coffee. But make sure it's there. And even if you were traveling, you do it on the phone. And I think that rigor is, is more important than anything else.
0: And what I like about what you just said, but one thing in particular is is you said even if there isn't you know a hot issue, use that time, grab a cup of coffee, because part of these meetings are about building the relationship. It's not just to solve work problems. It's building that, that one-on-one relationship as well. You bet. You absolutely bet because, you know, you want to build that trust capital with people.
1: I'm sure you do this too, but I, I, I facilitate a lot of senior management teams and people. Uh, you know, when you do little silly things like icebreakers, you know, get to know each other. We've known each other for 25 years. We know each other well. It's all right. And I get them to share something intimate about them. They're all surprised. Wow, I didn't know that about yourself. And I said, but you just told me you've been working together for 20 years. You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. That is amazing. Well, I really appreciate your time and, and joining me and, and the audience. These are some real hurls. And I love, of new ideas and a contrarian approach, you know, counterintuitive approach to leadership these days. As you mentioned, our world is changing so fast. The way we need to lead and manage today is very different than what worked 10 or, or 20 years ago. So, Rajiv, let me ask you, what's the best way for our listeners to find out more about you and your, your book? Well, thank you. Well, in today's Uber connected world, the best thing to do is to connect, <laughs> right? So,
1: and people can connect in one of many ways. One is, first of all, join me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, and I'm fairly active on both of those, I share thoughts. B, you know, uh, I have a blog on Forbes, which uh, they can follow. Finally, you know, visit my websites. I have two of them. One is rajeefpeshavriya.com, which is my personal website. And the other is my company's website, which is iCliff.org. That's I C L I F. O R G. So I would say those would be ways to keep in touch. And I look forward to that.
0: Perfect. And we'll make sure we put all those links in the show notes and articles that come out of this conversation. Again, Rajiv, thanks for coming on to the LeadX show. Thank you very much, Kevin, for having me. LeadX family, that wraps up another episode filled with leadership advice. But before I go, I hope you remember that at LeadX, we're on a mission to give free leadership training and professional development to everyone, anywhere, at any time. Visit leadx.org to check out our free course of the day and our weekly live webinars. And for your friends and colleagues who are managers, they lead people, let them know that they can get over 30 best-in-class management training courses on demand at their own pace at leadx.org for a ridiculously low investment of $7 per month. This is our public beta pre-launch pricing, and that quadruples really soon. Check out the LeadX Academy at leadx.org. And if you're the kind of person who always says thank you, then please take one minute, it's actually less than a minute, and go leave a rating for the LeadX show on iTunes. Just go to leadx.org forward slash subscribe, and it's going to bounce you to the right page on iTunes. You can just click some stars, maybe click that subscribe button, and if you have 20 more seconds, you could write a one-sentence review of the show. It's the single best way for us to build our family. And of course, because leadership is influence and we are leading all of the time— It's a question of, are you leading in a positive direction or a negative direction? I implore you to be mindful with your influence, to be mindful with your leadership. How will you lead today?